Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a very welcome return from episode 58, The Stainless Steel Rat. Welcome back to Jake Ebelin. Jake, hello again. Hi, Eamon. Great to be back. Uh, yeah, that seems a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was quite a while ago. And this is. <laughs> a lot's you know, happened. <laughs> yes, a lot has happened. And this is a book that we've had on the waiting list for a while, and we've, for obvious reasons, which we'll get to in a moment, we've bumped it up the list because we want to talk about a particular creator who's sadly no longer with us. Indeed. Tell us, Jake, what's the book we're going to base our discussion about today? So the book we're looking at today is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, it's by Alan Moore and Kev O'Neill, uh, which is obviously the person you were talking about. Yes, a very sad loss to the 2000 AD world uh, just a short while ago, in fact. Um, as you say, Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill, we've got volume one in front of us, although we may mention some of the later works as well. Uh, Indeed, yeah. I'll take a run at Coloured by Ben DiMaglio, uh, lettered by Ben Oakley, editor Scott Dumbier for DC Wildstorm, originally a six-issue miniseries from 1999 to 2000 although it then um i can't remember where it ended up being published after that oh it skipped over a few didn't it because it did, uh, yes. the copy i've got the trade paperback is by america's best comics uh, and i think the last few um the last few editions and the tempest story the last one is under top shelf right so um, I want to ask you, obviously, questions about Kevin O'Neill. But before we get there, let's just sort of set the scene for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. For anybody who hasn't come across this amazing concept in comics from Moore and O'Neill, um, give us a quick reminder of what the first volume is. Yeah, I mean, I first picked this up. I, in fact, I've still got the original trade paperback that I first picked up. It's quite a, quite a, quite a few years ago. Um, and it's just sort of uh, grabbed my interest because I do like all the sort of H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and all that sort of age of science fiction. It's something that I grew up reading. Um, so when I heard about it, I rushed out and bought it. And um, I think we can basically say that the whole book is based in a world where these fictitious characters all live in a shared universe. It's um, It's uh, got characters from Jules Verne, from, um, like I say, H.G. Wells, um, Robert Louis Stevenson, um, Bram Stoker, all that sort of thing, all in one um, amalgamated world. And, uh, yeah, that's what really sort of attracted me to it. And it's, uh, it's a fantastic um, area for Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill to play in, in a way, isn't it? Using all these late Victorian fictional characters and putting them all in a shared universe. It's It's... It's amazing stuff in a way, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, you, you, it, just in the first volume, you can tell how much fun the both of them were having um, creating this world. Um, and every um, following um, sort of episode or series um, seemed to um, add to that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think in particular, uh, I think Kevin had quite a lot of fun playing with it. Um, his artwork's all about little things going on in the background and there's a lot of stuff to go through when you look at these books uh, that are little sort of easter eggs or, or nods to um, the past the writers of science fiction from the past yeah um, it's amazing because it is as you say it's littered with references to 
fiction, I suppose predominantly from the Victorian period, but of course Alan Moore picks up some other uh, eras of writing and as the series progresses he gets into the 20th century characters as well. Um, And Kevin O'Neill never seems to sort of um, give himself an easy time. Each panel is usually packed with background information or detail as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean the uh, I, I, when I first read the books, I sort of just read through them, um, and just sort of out of the corner of your eye, you notice little things going on in the background, and you sort of think that sets little bells ringing in your head, um, and then um, very quickly you find that there is a a whole universe out there of uh, people that are doing annotations and things like that, which we'll, uh, we'll probably broach a little bit later in this uh, this episode as well. Yeah, and just to take us back to the first volume before we move on from it, um, just remind Indeed. us, sort of, the, without giving too many spoilers, to sort of um, some of the the characters that the league are going to come up against. What was the because fir- actually I I I went back and reread it and I thought, oh, I didn't really remember this one as well as I thought I did. Um, the the plot is interesting. It is, yeah. I mean, um, personally, I've, I've just reread it again as well. Actually, it's, it, I, I often find myself going back to um, the league. Um, in fact, I always go back to a lot of Alan Moore's writing because uh, it, it's worth reading over and over again. And it sort of breaks down into, I suppose, sort of three acts. Um, you've got Act One, where um, we're introduced to the members of the league, and at the start of the book. We were introduced to uh, the female um, leader of the, of the league, um, Mina Murray, um, and she's talking to a, a chap that we um, find out his name is Campion Bond, and he's um, a go-between between the head of MI5 and uh, the league themselves. Um, and he's tasking her to go and put the league together. Um, he's got a list of names, and he, he, he needs to send her out to go and collect these people and bring them together so that they can then go on and do some work for MI5. Wilhelmina Murray is a character that is from uh, another work of literature. She's from, um, well, people might know her by her other name, which is uh, Mina Harker. Um, And she was a character from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, And she was married to um, John Harker in that. And she was... uh, I suppose in some way she was sort of attacked by Dracula during that book. Um, So she's lived a bit of a life um, and she's obviously quite a strong personality, um, which comes out in the books. She gets more and more confident as the books progress as well, actually. Um, And they're waiting uh, at the docks and they're waiting for a person who's just known as, at this point, the captain to arrive so that he can take her off to go and hunt down these other members. You don't quite know who the captain is at this point, um, so I won't spoil that just yet. Um, but the first person they go to collect is they go over to Egypt. Um, they're in the sort of souks over there um, in the opium dens, and they're going there to pick up uh, Alan Quatermain, who again is from uh, other works of fiction. He's from uh, King Solomon's Mines by H. Ryder Haggard. He's a sort of uh, adventurer, explorer character. I suppose a bit more like a sort of like an Indiana Jones style character, um, but with yeah. guns. And he's in a bit of a mess when they find him, but he's uh, someone who is sort of regarded as a hero of the Empire. So he's the sort of hired gun, I suppose. Um, he's meant to be a bit of a sharpshooter, uh, and uh, again another quite strong character. 
Um, and once they find him, they make a sort of daring escape. And this is when you finally find out who the captain is. And uh, that captain is, and I don't really want to spoil the books for anyone, but uh, if, you, if you look at the front cover, I'm sure you can work it out anyway, is uh, Captain Nemo, obviously from uh, books 2000 Leagues Under the Sea and uh, The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne, who is uh, portrayed as this uh, wonderful sort of, uh, I suppose it's like a Sikh or uh, character. Um, again, a very strong character, uh, very inventive. He has lots of modern weapons and uh, obviously he's in his uh, wonderful ship, his uh, submarine, the Nautilus, which I have to say is one of the highlights of the book, um, looking at the Nautilus. It's so well um, drawn by Kevin. His design is based upon a sort of giant squid attacking a whale. It's, uh, it's an incredible um, drawing um, when you see that. And then where do they go from there? They have to find another two members. Um, the next member they find is over in France. There's been tales of murders going on on the Rue Morgue. Um, again, 20 years after the original case over there. So they meet up with the detective Dupin from the book of the murder on the Rue Morgue. Um, and they eventually find out who's doing these murders and attacks. And it is, I don't know, one of my favorite characters from uh, these sort of books is uh, Edward Hyde, the uh, alter ego of Henry Jekyll. So uh, he becomes a member of the group as well after a bit of a battle, some nice bit of violence. Um, and I suppose he's kind of like, he's kind of like the Incredible Hulk type character, I suppose, uh, he is, in this book. He is, yeah. He is, yeah. He's developed to a point where he doesn't have to take uh, a potion anymore to make him turn into Hyde. And Hyde's become a very powerful and very strong, formidable um, sort of beast. And then finally they get back to England um, and then they're tasked with finding one last member of the group who they find in a, uh, a sort of uh, convent girls school. And it's a character who is not very nice, I should have to put it. I think he's a bit psychopathic, Yeah. certainly not to be trusted, very sneaky, um, only really interested in himself. And he really only joins the group to get a pardon from his past crimes and also to get a cure to his particular ailment, which is that he is this person, the Invisible Man. Again, from the H.G. Wells books, um, and his name's Hawley Griffin. Um, it turns out that the, the Griffin character from the book actually didn't die at the end, and um, he'd set someone else up to die and be the full guy. Um, so he thought he'd get away with it, but um, MI5 clearly knew where he was, and uh, they managed to track him down. So at the end of that act, really, you've got the whole core group there. You've been introduced to this other character, Campion Bond, and you've heard of this other character, M, the leader of MI5. Quite a nice link to sort of uh, James Bond and things like that there. And Mina thinks that M is Mycroft Holmes, the brother of Sherlock. And in the history of these books, Sherlock is now dead. He obviously had his uh, encounter with um, Moriarty and died in the Rickenback Falls. So there's a gap, really. There's no one to protect the uh, the, uh, the Empire. Um, so that's why the, the League are being put together by um, M and Campion Bond. And as you say, Jake, we've got characters there from Wells, from Stevenson, Haggard, Verne, Bram Stoker, Arthur Conan Doyle already... Um, without giving too much away, there's going to be a Sax Roma character is going to turn up as well. Um, it is just 
a wide, wide canvas for both of them, for Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill to work on. And as you've said already, this is littered with references to other works and other characters, both from that period and from later on. And you've mentioned already there are a variety of annotation sites. Jess Nevins is the character I know, uh, or the writer I know, who's done most work on this in actually compiling all the references. Um, Yeah. yeah, Jess, Jess has put together. He's got a, he's got a very good website, um, and he's also put together three books uh, that are available um, that cover book one, two, and three, or rather, book three is called the uh, the Black Dossier, um, but it covers all three of the books, and it's a very handy book to have next to you while you're reading them. Um, we'll come back to Jess in a bit actually when we talk about uh, we sort of get to the end of it because his website is unfortunately sort of it's. Uh, ground to a halt a little bit uh, after the first episode of the last league book but there are other sites that sort of carried on um and it is it is invaluable when you're reading these things you'll never spot everything yourself there's always something new to spot and uh i just want to m- mention in particular there's a scene in that first act where when they do go to meet quatermain or, or find him there's a whole maybe two pages where the speech balloons are all written in arabic and the Jess Nevins uh, book and website translates all of that so you can understand what's going on and what the, uh, the two Arabic uh, or Egyptian guys are talking about in that scene. Um, they're basically being very uh, ungentlemanly about uh, Mina Harker while she's um, trying to get him from the, get him, uh, get to Quartermain out of the uh, out of the place. So, uh, yeah, it's well worth having just, just, to, just to translate that, really. Fantastic. So... Um, I mean, we're going to sort of, strangely enough, put one of our greatest living authors, Alan Moore, to one side for the rest of this episode and talk about Kevin O'Neill. Let's do a quick bio. Born 1953, sadly died earlier this year, 22. Um, Joined IPC as an office boy on Buster comic when he was just 16 years old. Uh, just when you mentioned Buster, I, 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 as I was reading that, I, I, it was it was I used to read Buster, I believe it, when I was younger, uh, Buster and Wizard Chips and all that sort of thing, and uh, it always makes me think that uh, Kevin's art always reminds me of the art that was in those sort of comics, right? Especially um, the work of, sorry, I'm trying to find it on my notes. Ken, Ken <laughs> um, Reed, perhaps. Ken Reed, that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, there's all those little things going on in the background and just um, his his um, the way his characters look, the faces, the expressions that they that they pull um, and, the, and the sort of really grotesque uh, looking bits of art that he does. I mean, you know, work like Nemesis and some of that, um, particularly some of Hyde's um, character in uh, and, and the visual aspects of Hyde in the league. They're really grotesque. I remind you of things like Face Ache and, and and books like that. So I wonder if he was a particularly uh, a big fan of Ken Reed, um, Leo Baxendale as well. Those sort of those sort of artists. Yeah, I think we know he was. He was a huge fan of those. He worked as an art bodger under Jan Shepherd. Um, of course, famously, he hears that Pat Mills is putting together a science fiction comic, and because of his own interest in science fiction, he. Uh, asks to get involved and well from then on he formed a a working relationship with pat but also he's working for 2000 ad he puts that first picture of tharg he does that first ever image of tharg on the front cover of prog one 
Um, yeah. And then there's just numerous sort of famous stories of his time working on 2000 AD, aren't there? There are. I mean, he was he was a creative force, wasn't he? He was he was involved in creating some of the the big characters from um, not just 2000 AD, but um, Star Lord as well. Um, his 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 work is very very uh, noticeable. You, you, you can as soon as you see a bit of Kev O'Neill work, you know it's Kev O'Neill. It's um, it's so um, it just jumps out off the page. It's it's one of those. He's, he's one of the sort of holy grail or holy. Oh, the way, how would you many? How many? How many would you say? All that sort of silver age of, or golden age of um, 2000 AD. The artists there. He was. Yeah. He was one of those. And I remember his interview in um, Future Shocks. He mentions about his job as a bodger, about having to white out some of uh, the more offensive bits of 2000 AD um, because the uh, editors and the thought that they were going to get in trouble if it was ever printed. So that must have broke his heart because he's. An artist who certainly likes to push the boundaries, and uh, in a lot of his uh, more uh, recent work—well, not recent, I suppose—but sort of work after 2000 AD, he really did try to push the boundaries um, a fair bit. Absolutely, and of course, as you say, famously having to white out swords going through bodies, removing blood and gore. But also, the other thing he had to white out for IPC was uh, artist signatures on their artwork. Yes, and of course that yeah. leads to the sort of one of the one of the many famous stories about him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was the person that is credited with putting the credit boxes on the on the stories, isn't he? He's he's the he's the person that did that. Yeah, we owe uh, you know he he's, he yeah he he's the person that wanted the artists and the uh, the writers and the letterers and everyone to to be known and not just uh, be. Um, I don't know, part of the machine, I suppose. Yeah, and we think it's, or I think it's Prog 35 or thereabouts when he starts adding the computer credit box uh, with the writer, the artist and the letterer for each one. And they pretty much stay there forever since so that we now know we can identify the people who are working on this artwork for 2000 AD. And I think that had knock-on effects on other British comics as well that it became more acceptable to have creators uh, actually names appear in the comics. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's, it, was, it, was, it was needed. Um, certainly when you when you do watch Future Shocks and I interview Pat, Kevin, uh, some of the other artists and creators that were around at the start, it's something that they... Um, I think they, they felt very bad about that they weren't known, that they were being um, maybe um, pushed under the... Uh, under the carpet a little bit and, and not given the um, credit that they, they, they deserved. Indeed. Um, so you've mentioned already he sort of like co-creates uh, or has a hand in several famous 2080 strips or Star-Lord strips, Robusters, the ABC Warriors, most notably Nemesis the Warlock. Um, can yeah, you remember, yeah, Jay? definitely. I'm... Can you remember what was your first experience with Kevin O'Neill's artwork when you sort of like... Because we all have that bit when we start to realise this is a particular artist that we can recognise their hand. What was your first ones, do you think? Well, well I, I'd spoken to you before and I said I didn't really jump on board with 2018 till about, well, as a subscriber, until about Prog 350. Um, and I'd picked up the odd occasional issue before that and Kevin's work was always there or thereabouts. 
I managed to, it was just one of those ones that always instantly drew you in. Um, I remember a, a very famous Christmas cover with sort of an alien Father Christmas, oh, with all yes. tentacles coming out of it, and these alien reindeer very appropriate for this time of year i remember that very clearly um and i've recently seen that in, on some of the websites you know the when we were celebrating kev's kev's life um i think for me really the first thing that stands out i was i'd only just started uh, like i say collecting 2000 ad or subscribing to it when um nemesis uh, book four the gothic empire came out right um and although he only drew the first three or four episodes of that famously drew them very early on and it got held back because um, pat wanted to run some other stories first to introduce nemesis in his world that that art really jumped out i mean it was uh, that was uh, amazing and um i just there's uh, one particular scene in that where he's in a i think he's in a sort of hotel or restaurant and grob and donk turns up and the uh, sort of waiter or concierge tries to throw him out and Nemesis sort of makes him feel like his soul's being ripped out of him and it's an incredible piece of art, all angular and so much detail in it. It's something that really did um, strike a chord with me. Um, and then going on from there, um, while I was still reading, um, we had obviously um, other little appearances. There was a couple of Judge Dredd stories that I remember around about that time. Um, I think one called Varx. Yes. There's some aliens in a flat or an apartment in Mega City One, and another one where he meets a mutant version of himself out in the cursed earth, which is uh, quite a funny um, story. Um, but again, just amazing art. Um, and then I remember a big fanfare when the uh, story Metal Zoic that was done in conjunction with DC out in the states um, was reprinted in 2000 AD. Um, a very far future but sort of robot primates and animals and um, another collaboration with Pat Mills um, and that was something that really jumped out and grabbed me um, as well just uh, amazing art always one of those artists that I just got drawn to and of course he carries on his working relationship with Pat Mills after 2000 AD when they do martial law together which we've talked about on the podcast he famously, with Alan Moore, did Green Lantern Corps stories, which were thought, where his art was thought to be just too disturbing for the Comics Code Authority. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. I can see that. <laughs> yes. I mean, as you said, that's, that Santa Claus cover for um, uh, 2008 D, some of the Alien covers he did, some of the Nemesis covers he did. And I've put this in our notes, that when he passed away, the... Uh, the book and Twitter account Scarred for Life, I thought quite memorably referred to Kevin O'Neill as Hieronymus Bosch for kids. His are one of the more distinctive hands on 2000 AD, I'm going to say. Very, very distinctive um, and quite creepy and disturbing. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's, he, he manages to use perspective and um, foreshortening in some very strange ways, um, especially as he gets onto uh, some of his later works, like you are saying, martial law, um, things like that. And, you, know, you, you get a picture of martial law punching a character and their face is huge and in the front of the picture and their legs seem to disappear to nothingness because he draws out their perspective so much. 
Um, and then all these, yeah, like you were saying, all these aliens that were in Nemesis, some of the um, things that happened to some of the people in Nemesis. I can't remember what the name of the character is that he makes all the skin go very floppy on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Transforms him into an alien and then his skin all goes floppy. Yeah, and that, I mean, the art in that is just incredible. It's uh, something that sticks in your head, makes you sort of uh, feel a bit queasy sometimes, but it's uh, it's incredible uh, artwork. Um, yeah, I mean, Martial Law was fantastic. I, I, I did love that. Um, I followed them on to uh, Toxic when Martial Law was, was in Toxic as well. For a short while, I've got uh, obviously got quite a lot of martial law stuff uh, on my bookshelf here as well, and obviously then we've got all the future with the further adventures of the league as well, um, which goes on for about another five or six stories. The last issue of which has a very nice tribute cover to 2000 AD, um, and was really his and Alan's last piece of work. Um, they decided to sort of step out of comics at that point, which uh, which was a bit of a shame. Um, but there's also in the middle of the League of Gentlemen is a, is a, is a load of books about uh, about Captain Nemo or rather Captain Nemo's daughter, which are incredible, uh, more incredible art in that. He's just one of those artists that um, I can't get enough of, really. I mean, without you know, without wanting to foreshorten the story too much, it would be fair to say that the League's adventures continue basically through the 20th century in a whole series of books from Alan and, and Kevin. And as you say, there are side tangents into Captain Nemo's daughter's adventures as well. Um, and, you know, he works in characters from James Bond, from characters from the Avengers, uh, British superhero oh, yeah. characters. Um, the, the, the Jerry Anderson sort of characters from all of his amazing work. Um, yes, yeah, some of the, some of the uh, Treasury of British Comics characters that were... That the rebellion are now um, printing collected works of appear in the background of some of the books, and like I say, James Bond becomes a very pivotal character in it. Um, even Harry Potter, um, things like that, and in the background illustrations you see characters such as Buster and Andy Cap and Doctor Who and all those sort of things at the corner of your eye. Even the Mitchell brothers from EastEnders turn up in one one uh, particular uh, strip. Um, and it's just amazing, really, the way, the way, I don't know, having read the Kev, the, the uh, Jeff, Jess Nevins books, um, Kevin contributed a fair bit to those and seems to sort of say that, although Alan gave him a script and said it'd be nice to see this in the background, Kevin just went a step further and added more and more detail. So uh, it must have been a real labour of love for him and Alan um, to get some of their favourite characters and uh, people that were in books that they read when they were younger, uh, things that have influenced them as well uh, into the background of the books. It's uh, like I say, it's a, it's a book that you can keep going back to and finding new little pieces in, in, uh, in there that uh, you'd never noticed before. And... It's astonishing that Kevin formed these two great working partnerships with uh, two of the foremost comics writers from, you know, uh, the UK, Pat Mills and Alan Moore. And also you mentioned his artwork and how it sort of, because I think you're right, I think Kevin O'Neill's artwork particularly calls back to those British humour comics of Ken Reed and Leo Baxendale, Face Ache and The Scrunges the distortions, the the, yeah, yeah. the wacky zaniness of, of Kevin O'Neill's artwork. Is it, you know, is it those features, do you think, that makes it so appealing to you and the rest of us as 2000 AD readers? 
Uh, personally, for me, yes, I would say it definitely is. I mean, when I, like I say, when I was younger, reading the Buster and comics like that, they were they were the strips that I used to like looking at. Those those uh, face ache for its its grotesque faces that he used to pull and the things that used to happen. They remind me very much of sort of the aliens of Nemesis, and the, the Leo Baxendale stuff like Jonah and things like that, where you'd see. The main story would be going on, but then there'd be little characters in the background having their own little story going on as well. It'd be something that just you'd be attracted to straight away. And I, Kevin seems to be a person that's always done that. It does appeal. I like the fact that in books like League, like Martial Law as well, Nemesis as well, to some extent, there's bits of graffiti and there's things written on guns and swords and things like that that really jump out. And it's the sort of thing that you see other other artists have, have picked up on um, particularly like Simon Bisley in uh, in his work it has a lot of those sort of arrows pointing down guns and swear words <laughs> hidden in there and things like that it's uh, something that I think I'm sure Kev would be very appreciative of that someone else has been influenced by him uh, along the way as well yeah I mean I, I that always struck me about Nemesis that there was always stuff going on in the background in the world there was always these crazy uh, machines or people or characters or bits as you say of graffiti and so on and that carries on into the league books where um, as you say much of it actually came from Kevin O'Neill's own research himself not just Alan Moore with his sort of extensive knowledge of all forms of literature but Kevin O'Neill putting this stuff in there as well um, and the result is a series of books and comics um, well, I mean, probably, you know, one of the greatest achievements of the last 25 years or so in comic books, I'd have thought. I'd, I'd go along with that. It's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it must have been so much work for the two of them. Like I say, clearly a labour of love uh, as well. But to, I mean, I know Alan's knowledge is extensive around these things. He can just reel some of this stuff off from memory. But, but the research that must have gone into some of it, making sure that their characters were correct they hadn't just based them upon well let's say in Nemo's case most of us know Nemo from the movies not necessarily the character that was in the books and the character that they use in the league is very much based on the original character from the book he's an enemy of the empire he fights against the British empire um, very proud man um, and 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 really a sort of pirate um, whereas in in the films he's not quite like that is he no so it's good that they that, that that these guys knew what they were doing. Uh, you know, Alan in his writing and um, obviously Kevin in his, his art as well. Um, and like I say, some of the stuff that he, he puts in some of the backgrounds uh, are just incredible. And his designs of things like Nautilus and uh, things like that. In book two, when it's uh, sort of based around War of the Worlds, the design of the uh, alien tripods is, is one of my particular favourites and I'm a massive fan of... Uh, War of the world so uh, yeah it's it's uh, breathtaking stuff really and he also I mean the covers of the original six issues the extra material that him and Alan Moore would put in the trade collections um, the sort of like little nods and homages to Victorian penny dreadfuls um, or as you say later on to 2000 AD itself um, all the extra material, the design, some of the covers, it's just sensational from Kevin O'Neill. 
yeah, you kind of wonder whether you ever got time to do it, don't you? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, so uh, there's reams it. and reams of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, various covers, alternative covers, um, extra bits of art that he's done for the trade paperbacks, like you say, um, and as well as as well as the strip stories. Um, Alan wrote out text stories that are in every single uh, episode as well um, and he's illustrated all of those with some absolutely beautiful like one-off art um, to, dem- to, to do those I mean in the back of um, this first trade paperback we've got some fantastic art showing us sort of um, I don't know again more strange alien creatures um, from sort of Lovecraftian backgrounds and uh, things like Morlocks uh, and the time traveler and stuff from she um, and all that sort of thing it's just uh, yeah it's just breathtaking really it's the amount of work he he done um, in this and I mean some of that work is in full color um, obviously colored by the colorist but a lot of you've got a lot of just black and white or sort of sepia art as well which I think Kevin's art his black and white line art is is something that is a uh, is absolutely beautiful um i suppose that's what attracted me to his art in the first place because nemesis was often black and white uh, in 2000 ad back then when you only had a color cover and a color center page so um yeah i don't know it's just uh, it's a book that i just can't help but keep going back to and uh, kevin's going to be sorely missed really his art is like, up there with some of the greats Yes, absolutely irreplaceable. I am looking at the back of this trade paperback at that black and white page of a sort of Lovecraftian horror monster and the amount of pen strokes he's put on that page to produce that image, which is almost... Oh, the cross-hatching is unbelievable, isn't it? (laughs) Unbelievable. It's almost just a throwaway tucked in with a text story at the back of the book. Yeah. And yet you look at it and think... You know, anybody should who produced a piece of work like that should be on a front cover or something. But yeah, it's astonishing. Um, I'll ask you in a moment what's your favourite of Kevin O'Neill's works. Um, to you know, from that. Sort That's of, a tough one. It is going to be a tough one. That's why I'm giving you a little bit of advance notice. Yeah. But in the meantime, we'll we'll just mention what you said, which is that in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. One of the great things is that the characters develop. Mina Murray is not quite the formidable character that she will become right at the start of this book. Edward Hyde really develops into a fascinating character. Captain Nemo is just sensational. Um, Yes, yeah. And the way that Kevin O'Neill, for instance, draws Edward Hyde and the increasingly sort of shrunken and nervous and sweaty Henry Jekyll as this story's progress. Uh, it's fantastic work. It's great character development. And throughout it all, just illustrated. I mean, I'm, I've just opened at the last page where it sort of teases what's going to be the main plot of book two. And that's just... Yeah, that... that. One. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, simple illustration, really. A full-page um, illustration of just some chaps sitting on a hill watching a I don't know what you would call it sort of a, I suppose a shooting star or something yeah but straight away you, you you look at that and if you've if you've got a little bit of knowledge of HG Wells and, and the war of the world you know exactly what that is don't you it's uh, and straight away I was down the bookshop buying volume two after that because yeah. like I said war of the world is one of those books that really started me on my 
uh, I suppose, uh, obsession with science fiction um, in particular. And anything that um, reflects the world of all the worlds is good by me. Which I suppose brings us to, to the fact that this is one of those books, like we were saying, where there's, there's characters from other things. And even now in 2000 AD, still running, we have Scarlet Traces, which is doing a very similar um, sort of thing. Um, every now and then you see characters in there that are from other works of fiction and TV and things like that. Um, and also in the um, Stickleback series that was in 2008 as well. Similar sort of idea there. So it's it's something that endears. Uh, it's something that's obviously people like. Um, I certainly do. And it, the, the problem with it is, is you, you pick something up, you read it, and you think, oh, who's this character? And you end up downloading about another 10 books onto your Kindle to try and read adventures of people that you'd maybe not heard of before. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I suppose Ian Edgington and Matt... Disraeli Brooker are the sort of ones who are nearest in terms of their, you know, inclusion of references and nods to other works of fiction. And as you say, if you like Stickleback, if you like Scarlet Traces, you'll love The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and probably vice versa as well, I'd say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I'll make it slightly easier for you, Jake. I'll let you choose from one from his black and white work for Kevin O'Neill and one from his later sort of coloured works. Um, what's your favourite artwork from Kevin O'Neill, just in general, before we get down to specific pages? Oh, in general, um, there was so much of Kevin's um, art put on a lot of the Facebook groups after his passing. Um, and there was one particular one that, that I've always had a little bit of a, a, a fondness for. Um, and it's from Martial Law. It's a picture of Martial Law in his... Um, I don't know what you call it sort of aerial attack vehicle i suppose um uh, and on the back he's got a uh um, a sort of batman character handcuffed to the back of the uh, vehicle uh and there's these just amazing looking obviously watercolor clouds in the background as well um and I, I'm, I'm afraid to say I, I did say I'd name drop the person who owns it, um, Benjamin Kay from the 2000 AD original comic artwork Facebook group. Um, I'm not jealous at all that he owns that and he's got that <laughs> hanging on his wall. Um, but it's an it's a great piece of work. It's it's so moody, um, really well coloured, beautifully drawn, obviously by Kevin, um, and just uh, yeah another one of his crazy vehicles as well. So uh, if I could have anything, probably I'd go for that. I think. Um, out of all of his work i mean there's so much to choose from uh, that's the problem yeah i mean i would i'd say myself in the black and white it's got to be nemesis the warlock uh, yeah yeah his line work in that is incredible it's astonishing yeah. isn't it yeah and his color work i think i'm probably going to pick league of extraordinary gentlemen as you know um just because it's so rich it is such a uh, lasting monument to Kevin's skills, uh, his research, his crazy attention to background details. Um, the amount of, of work he does on each panel is astonishing. There's some pages in this first yeah. volume. Um, he does full-page splashes from time to time that are just, they take your breath away, you know, uh, I know we're supposed to be moving on with the story and looking at what's happening next, but you just have to stop and stare at them, don't you? You do, yeah. I mean, there's a few things from League that I would I would definitely love to hang on, hang on my wall. I, I sent you some uh, 
photos earlier. I couldn't narrow it down to just one page. I do apologise. No, yeah, it's all right. Um, Take me through them. Let's, but certainly let's go the, through the, we're on to the Grail page game now. Yeah, okay, cool, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, there's probably four pages from this particular edition of, of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the uh, American's Best Comics trade paperback. Um, and the front cover is, is one. I, I'm sorry to go for a cover again. I did with Stanley Still that. But it's just such a great cover. It's got a, um, a group shot of the league. There's so much detail in it. Little Easter eggs in the background, um, like a giant skull. If you look in the mirror, what Jekyll stood in front of, his reflection is Hyde. But in the background behind Hyde, there's Alice from Alice Through the Looking Glass peering over his shoulder. There's all sorts of little things in there that just that are just incredible. Uh, a little Lilliputian cat, um, horse down in the, in the fore, foreground and things like that. It's uh, it's a wonderful piece of art. I'd love to have that hung on my wall. Yeah, it's astonishing. Um, when we move, yeah, when we move inside. Um, there's a, there's a lovely uh, illustration, one of the full page spreads, um, and uh, I mentioned how much I liked his Nautilus design. And this is about five pages into, I suppose, chapter two, um, and it's got the Nautilus um, moored up in sort of whopping docks, and it's just such a great picture. You've got Nautilus at the bottom showing off his fantastic design, and then one of his crazy sort of uh, East End. I don't know what you sort of say. It's sort of an in industrial steampunky, I don't know, urban nightmare really in the background there, showing us the uh, the East End of London. It's um, another fantastic uh, piece of art. Brilliant. Lots of little silly details in there as well. An elephant on a crane and uh, a train being carried by a crane and airships above and little ships little rowing boats at the front and on the Thames it's uh, it's a lovely lovely piece of work that one as well fantastic well we're certainly going to give you the cover of this volume we're going to give you that page of the Nautilus in front of uh, as you say Wapping Docks you, you've mentioned I mean you know you've got a great love for a lot of this era's fiction you're also a Sherlock Holmes or a Holmesian I think is the phrase and of course later on in this yeah I've done yeah, another Grail page. I do apologise. No, right. <laughs> another page I want. <laughs> I've, I've obviously got a, you've got a big budget this episode. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's um, it's uh, into uh, where are we? I think it's uh, chapter five. Um, right at the start, it harks back to um, the Reichenbach Falls um, storyline with uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, where Holmes and Moriarty have their final. Uh, confrontation and about one two three on the fifth page in we have the sort of end of their fight um you've got moriarty attacking holmes um and then holmes manages to off balance him and sends him plummeting down onto the rocks at the bottom of the falls it's th only three panels it's, but they're, they're perfect they're absolutely perfect panels they're they're so kev o'neill as well the the um the look on Moriarty's face as he's thrown off of balance and goes falling down the, 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 into the falls, the way he draws him falling, it's just uh, it's just a beautiful piece of work. And as a Sherlock Holmes fan as well as a uh, Kev O'Neill fan, that's another one that I would really, really love to have on my wall. The final confrontation, the final solution between Holmes and Moriarty, done wordlessly... An action yeah. sequence where you can see, you can read the action, you can see the movement, uh, and then Moriarty plunging, and you know it's just astonishing. Again, it's another 
page that you just like wonder over. And again, the pen work is superb, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's just beautiful. You can see the movement in the water as it's hitting the rocks at the bottom of the waterfall. It's it's just so well drawn. It's uh, well, it's just Kev all over, really, isn't it? It's again, you, you just wonder how long it took him to draw it. Astonishing. And I know you'd also picked out one of the covers from the uh, the, the original six issue miniseries. Um, was it the last one, issue six? I think it's. Um... No, it's uh, it's actually issue one, um, oh, volume issue one, one, number right. one of six. Yeah, and it's it's one that is um, it looks like one of the old Victorian sort of police illustrated uh, covers, albeit it's in full colour. Um, but it's just it's got little vignettes of what goes on in that episode of the story, um, including a picture of the Nautilus, uh, pictures of Mina and Nemo and Quatermain, um, and it's just uh, I just love that style. It's um, something that you, you obviously if you read a lot of um, Victorian history books and you know sp- certainly around uh, another one of my uh, curious obsessions is Jack the Ripper you can blame Alan for that as well from, from hell um, you see a lot of those sort of uh, illustrations on the front of the um, police journals at the time and uh, yeah I think that's that's really well done again another one that you just think how did Kev have that much time that he could draw five or six different versions of covers for each each epi- uh, like each each episode it was uh, yeah he was a prodigious talent wasn't he he was yeah absolutely astonishing so we're going to grant you those four grail pages and post them on the various I feel, social I feel blessed stuff. I feel blessed <laughs> um I'm I'm slightly taken by an image of Limehouse with one of um one of the uh sort of image of the villain sort of in the clouds above Limehouse, which is very memorable. But I'm probably going to take um, an issue, uh, uh, one from very early on that doesn't give any spoilers like that one perhaps does, which is just, I think it's the very second page where um, Campion Bond oh, yes. <laughs> and Nina Murray yeah, yeah. are having their conversation. And, and in this era, England is not building a channel tunnel, it's building a bridge. Um, and it's just this image of the bridge of Britannia, the lion, the machinery, uh, the sky, the two figures right at the top left of the panel of the page. Um, so I'm probably going to pick that one. I think Jake, it's um, again yeah, um, that is uh, fantastic, isn't it? It's that that reminds me um, so much of his work on Nemesis. Um, you know the, the 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 terror tubes and all that sort of thing. I know it's it's obviously a different age than that. It's a, it's a bit more uh, steampunky, um, but certainly even some of the stuff from uh, the Gothic Empire. It, it really does sort of hark back to that. And it's uh, again so much detail in there, isn't there? You can see every rivet on the cranes and things like that. It's amazing. And while we keep talking about artwork, let's talk about artwork that. I'm sure people are going to be familiar with. If I gave you his Nemesis the Warlock, his 2000 AD uh, canon of Kevin O'Neill, um, I know you've picked out one particular cover that you 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 rather like uh, as well. Yeah, um, 
I have. Uh, yeah, again, it's some lucky person owns it. Um, it's uh, owned by, uh, I think, David Meaden, again, on the uh, 2000 AD original comic artwork uh, Facebook group. Um, and it's from Prog387, which was only 20-odd, um, well, 30-odd um, issues or progs after I'd sort of started uh, my regular subscription with my local news agent. And it's the first cover um, that introduces Nemesis in the Gothic Empire. And it's, well, it's it's got everything really. It's got a lovely central picture of Nemesis dressed up in a din- dinner suit, a dinner jacket, um, looking resplendent. In the background, we've got airships, we've got the Blitz Spear, we've got factory chimneys churning out smoke and steam, and in out of that smoke and steam, we've got the uh, ghostly apparition of uh, Torquemada um, coming out as well. Uh, and then right down the bottom we've got Grob and Donk um, sort of around Nemesis's hoofs so it's uh, it's got everything for me it's um, something that really did draw me in um, straight away and get me interested in that particular storyline and of course because uh, I'm looking at the image you sent me of that piece of original art um, that David Meaden luckily enough owns on the original comic artwork page and of course it's a cover you've got the cover logo you've got the credit box you've got the the new stories new sagas new thrills tagline nemesis the warlock in the gothic empire it has got everything on that page um it's again it's another stunner um just absolutely gorgeous so yes i will post that image as well and uh well done david and again Fantastic. like you were saying like you were saying like you were saying about that um that um illustration at the back of the extraordinary uh, the league of extraordinary gentlemen the amount of cross hatching and and stuff in it to to make the clouds and he, he, he just it was just such a great penman wasn't he he was just incredible and it's something we've touched on in um this podcast many a time jake but i think it's that that these guys who were creating 2000 ad were so passionate about comics in general that they never wanted to skimp or take the shortcuts or hurry a panel or a cover. They they put the work in more, you know, much, perhaps even more than the IPC probably would have required at the time. Um, it just produced works of art the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was it's just so lucky to be reading it back. Um, back at that sort of time, there was some uh, incredible art around. Um, I mean, I loved Kevin's art, and when... It was obvious that he wasn't going to continue doing the Gothic Empire anymore, um, and it handed over to Brian Tall. But I was I was in a state of shock for a number of weeks. I have to be honest. But um, mm. Brian, again, another person that spent so long working on it and making sure that his work's spot on and perfect. Um, it didn't take me long to be won over to his version of the of the events either. So um, yeah, I, I think um, you know the work that. Pat and Kevin did for 2000 AD the, the work that uh, Alan and Kevin have done as well. It's just it stands the test of time, and it's it's you can tell that every single piece that they do means a lot to them. It's something that they're doing because they love it. Um, the last thing I've got from um, Alan and Kevin was uh, I know they finished at the time of uh, the last episode of, of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but around the same time they released a. Uh, a purely black and white comic series called Cinema Purgatorio. And again, the artwork is just beautiful. And you can see their love for the old black and white movies. 
um, and you can see what research they've put into that as well. It's uh, it's a it's a it's a lovely volume. It's well worth reading. It's quite dark, but uh, what do you expect from Alan and Kevin? Indeed. Um, now, before I just talk about what's coming up, as it were, uh, I, well, I, I sometimes, Jake, I get accused of breaking the rules of the Grail page game. I'm going to break the rules once more because <laughs> I'm going to give you a page from volume two because uh, we know you're a great War of the Worlds fan as well. And shall we just say uh, Martian Tripods and Edward Hyde? <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's just... That's that's it easily summed up, I suppose. Um, yeah, book two uh, out of all of the books is my favourite, really, just because of its uh, its links to um, the War of the Worlds, which uh, is a book that I've read so many times I've I've lost count. Um, it's almost like my book version of Star Wars. But there's a page right towards the end where there's the final sort of face-off between the Martians um, and the League and. Uh, to all intents and purposes, it looks like the League are about to uh, perish. And Hyde takes it upon himself to, uh, well, have one last stand, I suppose, and, and, and do what he can and take out as many Martians as he can. So he says his goodbyes to uh, to the League, and particically to Mina Harker, who he, or Mina Murray rather, who he, he strikes up a very close relationship with um, over the two books. Um, and there's a lot of respect between the two of them in the end, uh, despite their hatred for each other at the start. And he just strides towards three Martian tripods. Uh, and it's just, an, again, another fantastic piece of art. It's, I love Kevin's design of the tripods, the way they're um, spindly legs and they're sort of very wide, flat, sharp edges, angular edges to, to the, um, I suppose you call it, driving compartment and the sort of weird basket collecting thing at the back. Um, they're not quite the way you imagine them when you read the books, but uh, they are very, very striking. And it's just a, it's a lovely piece of artwork as Hyde, you see from, from the back of Hyde, you see him strolling towards these three um, Martian um, tripods and uh, ready to do his last bit and uh, put his life on the line. Astonishing work. Let's just mention a couple of upcoming things, Jake. As we record, literally this morning from the newsagent, I picked up the Christmas prog, which, um, you know, we talk about great partnerships that Kevin O'Neill formed because he was, it seemed like he was developing a working partnership with Garth Ennis. He'd done Kids Rule OK in the uh, incredibly successful battle actions um, hardback earlier this year. And then, of course, in the Christmas issue, they've brought back, strangely enough, Bonjo. <laughs> yeah which i'm guessing is probably going to be kevin's last published work in the prog sadly so we've got that but also next year or you know this year when this episode comes out in january 2023 we have got to look forward to a kevin o'neill um, apex edition from rebellion large a3 format of his work i did get a glimpse of some of the nemesis the warlock original pages that david roach was borrowing um at lawless to um scan in for this i know it's going to be fantastic that presumably is going to be an even hotter book now that he's sadly no longer with us i guess 
Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's for, for, to start, yeah, bringing Bonjo back was a bit of a weird choice, but um, a bit of a surprise. I don't know. It, it, it'll be it'll be interesting, and uh, you know, it's Kev's artwork, so that's something to look forward to. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. I think most people were sort of, oh my word, <laughs> where did that come from? Um, but yeah, the Apex Edition when that got announced. Um, I'm sure like many people, I mean, I was straight onto the uh, the website um, and ordering up my um, my edition of it because um, it's just going to be something incredible. Um, Kevin's had a lot of input in it, apparently. So it's going to be pages that he, he himself really loved. And that's got to mean something, hasn't it? I mean, if he's, if he's picking what he thinks is his best 2000 AD work, it's, you just know it's going to be good. So uh, I can't wait to see that, um, you know, nice, big pages of Kev O'Neill art to, to show us the detail in even more uh, more detail I suppose that would be great, I can't wait Yeah me neither it's going to be astonishing to actually see this book and see these pages what do you think is Kevin O'Neill's legacy I mean we've mentioned that of course he drew from great British comic artists himself do you see um, you know in his creations or in perhaps some of the modern generation of artists uh, people who've picked up the sort of stuff he does and and, and uh, developed their own style from it. Oh, definitely. I think I, I did mention earlier. I think Simon Bisley probably owes quite a lot to Kevin O'Neill. Um, yes. You know, especially his ABC Warriors work, his, his black line work on that uh, when he first did the ABC Warriors. Um, there's there's a lot of Kev O'Neill influence in there. You can tell, and uh, obviously we've got a little bit of Kev uh, of, of Bisley coming back with. Um, Pat and doing uh, Joe Pineapples as well. Um, in, yeah. that, that's in this winter special as well, isn't it? it Starts is, in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose even even um, artists like um, um, Henry Henry Flint would would say that they took a lot of inspiration from from. Um, Henry from, Flint was uh, the name Kevin I had in my as mind well. as well. Yeah, I mean his his version of of Nemesis. I mean, I uh, mistakenly thought one was by um, Kev O'Neill because it, it was so similar. Um, the line work was very similar. Um, obviously, there were differences, but um, yeah, I, I believe I believe he's, he's quite a fan of Kev O'Neill and he was one of the artists that he always uh, sort of um, tried to um, take influence from. So I, I definitely do think there is. I think Kevin's big... Um, thing that he's left behind really is that he's, he's, he's sort of anarchy he's, he's, his artwork was it's very anarchic it's very um, he pushes the boundaries it, it does upset a few people we, we we know that that you know some of his gruesome aliens and monsters and things like that can be um, yeah a little disturbing I suppose to some but um, I would imagine that he just wants people to go out there and express themselves and um, Hopefully he's, he's he's influenced people just to go out and do that. That would be his big influence, I suppose, to me. Yeah, absolutely astonishing. Uh, you know, one of the greats of 2000 AD, as you sort of hinted at, probably up on that Mount Rushmore of artists from the golden era of 2000 AD. Uh, so distinctive, um, such a great legacy of comics. And the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen um, with Alan Moore is just such a marvellous piece of work that bears reading and rereading so many times. Um, absolutely astonishing. And of course, 2022, a bit of a sad year for us, Jake. You know, Ian Kennedy, Gary Leach, Alan Grant, and then Kevin O'Neill. Um, big losses for 2000 AD community. 
yeah i mean since since we last spoke and did the uh, stainless steel rat edition we've lost we've lost a number of uh, fantastic artists and writers um, and collaborators um, that were part of our 2000 AD family and it's uh, it's always sad to hear the news um, when one of them does pass away um, but it gives us all an opportunity to look back and, and, and maybe even rediscover some of their work or see things that we never realised that they did um, and like I was saying some of, the, some of the artwork that was getting posted on the artwork groups and um, you know the other 2000 AD groups of, of, of things that people particularly liked or remembered or, or wanted to show um, really you know made it uh, a celebration of his life rather than us all feeling uh, upset and down about it we celebrated the fact that he was you know one of those people that I don't know has it hopefully influenced us has certainly entertained us over the years um, and one that won't ever be forgotten I don't think yeah Fantastic. Very well said, Jake. Yeah, I mean, as you say, let's celebrate the wonderful work and life and career of Kevin O'Neill. We've got so many uh, wondrous creations uh, that he's left us with. Uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is, uh, I'm sure we're going to say, incredibly well worth reading and then rereading. Although I suspect most people listening to this podcast will, will be familiar with the League. But it's it's worth going back to again, isn't it, Jake? Oh, definitely. Uh, it's like I say, I, I, I read it from start to finish. Uh, every volume, um, probably every year, I'll probably read it, reread it again. Um, and yeah, and then I'm on the internet with the uh, annotations, and I've got my annotation books with me, um, going through those as well, just trying to see all the little things that maybe I'd missed before. Um, and it's it's a, it's a joy to do that. It really is. It's something I really enjoy. And I did actually um, when it came to century story I, I was actually sending little tidbits of information into jess and uh he does name check me at one point on one of the websites so uh i was happy to do that it was it was it was a joy to do that it was like a it's like being a child again rediscovering some um old characters that i sort of remembered from my childhood um sort of it was just uh, great as well really good fun um and the books are just fun as well there's there's so much in them make you sort of think about characters make you want to find out more about other characters that maybe you've not read their books you, you know a little bit of their background maybe um but uh yeah definitely worth reading and rereading and rereading and rereading uh i'd have to say yeah definitely yeah and i didn't realize you were actually one of jess nevin's diverse hands yourself congratulations on that jake well done <laughs> uh, only only for a couple of uh, issues I, I, uh, I, I had a little bit of time on my hands <laughs> back then so uh, yeah it was good fun <laughs> The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen of course is widely available you can buy the trades you can find them all digitally on the Kindle Comixology app for about £12 each I believe um, yeah you've probably already got it in your collection but if not it's time to uh, visit the wonderful world of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and on behalf of us both to say thank you to Kevin O'Neill for all the wonderful art, the wonderful creations, the wonderful research the wonderful background detail all those great covers and we really look forward to having a, a, a look at this Apex edition and seeing the wonders up close this time next year hopefully yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a, a well worth having that volume on my shelf. I shall uh, spend hours poring over it. I think. Jake, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. As I say, we bumped this one up the running order a bit because of obviously we wanted to talk about Kevin O'Neill 
Uh, and it's been great fun to talk about such a wonderful artist and such a wonderful member of the 2000 AD um, sort of roster of greats. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, I only remain, I don't know when this is coming out, but it's coming up to Christmas. So I'm going to wish you a happy Christmas anyway. Um, I've, I've noticed you've been very busy lately. I've, I've never seen you uh, put so much content out <laughs> in such quick uh, succession. So uh, good luck with it all. Um, and hopefully we can talk again sometime. But uh, keep up the good work and uh, just a happy Christmas to everyone out there that's uh, that's listening. Thank you, Jake. And it'll probably be Happy New Year because this is going to be, I think, uh, the 1st of January. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wow. Be, I'll uh, say Happy New, New Year as well then. So, uh, <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, and Happy New Year to you, Eamon. And uh, thank you for having me on again. It's been great. No trouble at all. Thank you, Jake. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find all the details at megacitybookclub.com. Follow us on the socials, particularly Facebook, Instagram, and the 2080 forums. Email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you've got a book of your own you'd like to come and talk about. Uh, and that will do us. Uh, until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's a goodbye from me and. That's goodbye from me. And Happy New Year. Bye bye.